Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is October 29th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues, in about an hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. So we're, uh, well, a little later than normal on a Sunday, but it actually worked out pretty well all around because I was out of town and was able to get back in, in time to be back in the quote-unquote home studio. And Lewis was finally able to get out hunting first thing in the morning. How did it go? Uh, well, not good. <laughs> <laughs> saw, saw a few deer, but early in the morning before it was light enough to shoot so again and then when it got light enough the deer all disappeared yeah 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 again <laughs> well at least you got some fresh air i guess <laughs> yep yeah it's still a good day a bad day hunting is still a good day yeah absolutely so all right canada we've got a few housekeeping items for you first of all Member Russell Brown resigning from the Supreme Court of Canada. Justin Trudeau has now appointed a replacement for him. That is Calgary Justice Mary Moreau. She is a Francophone, Franco-Albertan. She becomes now the sixth of nine Supreme Court judges to be appointed by Justin Trudeau. That bothers me, just that number. Yeah, two-thirds of the high court are now Justin Trudeau appointees um and uh yeah it's uh it's a bit bothersome yeah because he does he does like his activists all right another house uh, he, oh sorry go ahead yeah he did i was just going to agree with you yes he does he he likes his activists yeah so i'm not i don't know anything about this woman but uh well i guess congratulations <laughs> yeah all right, so since we're talking about courts, um, there is a court case coming up, and that is the CCFR is actually, and that is tomorrow you said the decision comes down? Yeah, the decision from the judge comes down tomorrow. This is the CCFR, Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights v. Canada, uh, and this is regarding the 2020 Ordering Council ban on 1,500 different types of uh, firearms. Uh, the CCFR challenged it, saying it was uh, it, that it was not constitutional. So the judge is rendering her verdict tomorrow. Um, we've been waiting for this for five months, I think, or six months. It's been a while. We've been waiting for this verdict for a long time. So, oh, no, no, it's been longer than that because uh, originally we were supposed to receive a verdict in July. So, um, yeah, it's been a while. So I, the one thing I'm going to say is, is that because it took a lot longer than expected to get this uh, this verdict, I am really hoping that the judge has really considered things and not just ruled on I, I don't know if she is a liberal or conservative appointee I don't know um so I I I just hope that she's not you know that she didn't make this decision based on ideal ideology or party lines um and that she actually gave proper consideration to everything that was said during the case uh by 
you know, both sides because the um, one thing I did mention to you before we started recording was that one thing I was really impressed with with this judge is that she asked a lot of questions. And those questions revolved around the different types of firearms, how they operated, uh, what the difference was between like a a semi-automatic uh, like AR-15 and a semi-automatic hunting rifle, which we we know there is really no difference. Uh, just the way they look. It's all aesthetics. And so she did a lot of, she made a, she asked a lot of really good questions. So, which says to me that she was really taking it seriously and wanted to make her ruling uh, I, I think she's really, you know, taking everything into consideration and making a, a probably, hopefully, making a good ruling. Um, she's like I said, this the, we were originally supposed to have a a a, a, re, a verdict in July. So the fact that it's taken this long says to me that she's doing a lot of research. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, and probably writing a really detailed verdict. So I, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I hope the ruling is what we're hoping for because um, if it is then uh, I'm going to buy an AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's hope it goes that way. So, um, so now, last weekend we talked about Pierre Poiliev. How do you like them apples? Well, yeah. that T-shirt, unfortunately, is sold out in every size on the as of Friday on the Conservative Party's website, and they will not be restocking those particular shirts. So, uh People like listener Trevor who got in early and got one. Well, congratulations. They were a pretty hot commodity. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's uh, it's disappointing that they're not going to make more. I mean, it, I think they would be smart to make more. They'd sell out again and it would be a pretty good fundraiser. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great thing that they did. So uh, yeah, that's, it's awesome that they sold out, but I hope, I wish they would actually, Print some more so they can sell out again. Yep, exactly. Now, uh, <laughs> this little housekeeping item uh, just, it floors me. So we talked last weekend that about Alberta just, you know, looking into the idea of creating their own pension plan and getting out of the CPP. Now, we laid out some arguments for why they should do it. Um Politicians in the rest of the country have been laying out arguments why they should not. And in fact, they're so concerned about it that Ontario's finance minister, now I wrote his name down, it's quite the uh, odd name, Peter Bethlenfalvy, Peter Bethlenfalvy, Ontario's finance minister, was on question period this morning and he was very concerned and he called Christian Freeland to convene a meeting of provincial finance ministers and her as soon as possible to discuss this idea of Alberta exploring the idea of getting out of the CPP. And you had actually made a very good point when we were talking about this earlier in the week before this meeting was even requested. And and that that was that, hmm, maybe Alberta well, do something. Yeah. It, you know, if there was any evidence that 
Alberta is Canada's cash cow, this is it. The fact that every other finance minister is freaking out that Alberta might leave the federal CPP program. I mean, if maybe Alberta, maybe, maybe Danielle Smith is right. Maybe, maybe uh, Alberta does contribute 50% of the CPP uh, money in this country because everybody else is losing their minds. I mean, to convene a special meeting of all the, the ministers of finance in the country, I mean, that's crazy. Unless Alberta really is Canada's cash cow. Yep, exactly. And the fact that Christopher Freeland got back to Mr. Bethlen Felvey in less than 48 hours tells me that, well, she views it as pretty important too. And Here's what I think is funny in this, and this comes from someone who was born and raised in Alberta, and I left Alberta at just before my 32nd birthday, so I'm pretty in tune with uh, with Albertans for from that experience. And it's anything basically east of Yorkton, Saskatchewan, is essentially irrelevant to Alberta, and anything east of Winnipeg is just annoying. And when someone from Ontario says, you know, Alberta should do this or Alberta should not do this. The usual inclination is, oh, oh, you think so? Okay, well, then we're just going to do what you said we shouldn't do just because you're Ontario and you suck. And all that the uh, these other finance ministers getting in front of cameras is doing is just telling Albertans, oh, okay, well, then, um, yeah, screw you. Maybe we should do this. And like we had said last weekend on the show, if doofus... Trudeau prime minister had not spoken up. And now if this fellow from Ontario had not spoken up, this issue would have just withered away on the vine. But now it's front page news everywhere across the country. And now it's going to get all kinds of attention from Albertans who might just look at it and say, oh, well, if everybody else thinks it's a bad idea, maybe this is something we should be looking at. So um, thanks yeah. for this pitch, Ontario. Alberta, like I lived there for 10 years. And the thing that I noticed in Alberta, and it was hard not to notice because it was a general feeling across the board, was anytime Ottawa or Ontario or Quebec wants to dictate what Alberta can do, Alberta just throws up the middle finger and says, nope, we're going to do what we want to do. You're not going to tell us what to do. And that's that's always how it's been there. And even even despite the fact that a lot of Albertans are not actually Albertans, that they share that sentiment usually. Even people who used to who came from Ontario feel that way. They're like, you're not gonna tell us what to do. And and it's like and and, the, and you know, there's this thing. I, I don't know. Ottawa's got a real disdain for the West and especially Alberta. Um, and I mean, that that was never more obvious than what happened this week when Justin Trudeau announced that uh, there was going to be a pause on the carbon tax, but only for home heating oil, which is, you know, quite carbon intensive. Um, but it would not apply to uh, natural gas, which is very low 
carbon intensity. It's like the lowest carbon intensity of any combustion or uh, of any fossil fuel. And uh, it like, it's the cleanest form of energy that we've got. Like, and, and so they, they're not going to pause the pause it on that, even though, and, and the reason is because the West primarily uses natural gas and the Maritimes primarily use heating oil. So, and, and by the way, Justin Trudeau is just admitting that the carbon tax increases the cost of living. Yep, exactly. And what I think is really short-sighted on that particular subject is for the sake of the votes of two and a half million Canadians in the Maritimes, and that's roughly the population of the four provinces put together, he is sacrificing, well, the potential votes for 10, 12 million Canadians. And there's going to be people in Ontario who are also getting ticked off. So it could be even more than that because, well, hey, there's a lot of folks in Ontario who use natural gas to heat their homes as well. So, uh, yeah, he's really, really asking for it. Yeah. And and I mean, and, and I just want to say one thing before we get on to the, the topics of the day. Um, I've, I am right now, I'm predicting that there's going to be an election in May. And that is because I have heard from, you know, a little birdie that elections workers are being told to prepare for a May election. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's that's my prediction. It's going to be in May. Well, and I guess I can back that up in, in that here in Saskatchewan... Election Saskatchewan has been advertising for the past week looking for elections workers. And we've got a provincial election next year, which is not scheduled till the fall. But perhaps they are looking for election workers for that, that spring election, and then they will still be employed for our fall election. Who knows? Interesting. Yeah. Because it seems a little early to be uh, recruiting for next fall. It really does. Yeah. So yeah. uh, get a snap election in the spring provincially, or there's a snap election coming in the spring federally. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. All right, Canada. Well, let's get to those show topics we were talking about on the show today. Buffy St. Marie made for drug addicts. UBI in the Senate. BC joins Nova Scotia on short-term rentals. And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Oh, Buffy, say it ain't so. Yeah, you know, um, for 80 years, literally, Buffy St. Marie, the uh, national icon, indigenous singer and hero to many Canadians, well, might not be Canadian and might not even be indigenous. Uh, there's a special episode of The Fifth Estate on CBC, which airs today. And so many of you may already have seen it by the time you listen to this show. But yeah, that's a shocking allegation that she's not even Canadian, let alone Indigenous. And well, there's evidence to back it up. Yeah, so apparently she was born in Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and uh and then she was adopted 
into the uh I, I can't remember how to say it, Piapot. Piapot, yeah. Piapot First Nations in Saskatchewan, that they adopted her in as a as a family member, as a as a honorary member of the family. And uh and that she actually doesn't have any First Nations blood at all. Um now I want to see this fifth estate before I say whether or not I believe it or not. Um, but, but usually when they do a story like this, uh, it's pretty well researched. Um, so, but it is the CBC, but the CBC is not usually about tearing down national heroes. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, it's, it would be very disappointing to find out that she's a pretendian, right? I mean, that's that, but hey, it's, it wouldn't be the first time. No, exactly. And I mean, I have to give CBC credit where it's due. The fifth estate is actually one of their better um, investigative shows. And I mean, that was uh, Trish Wood was actually once in the fifth estate and she's on her own now and she's actually quite good as well. But um, like you, I want to see the show and I want to see what they have to say. But wow. I mean, when I was reading this, there was a member of Buffy St. Marie's family. I believe it was a niece of hers uh, on her birth parent side who had said that, no, no, she was born in Massachusetts. And the family who adopted her was actually... Uh, Italian and English, although the mother, the adopted mother did identify as Micmac. So there's, but that's an adoptive mother. That's not a blood mother. So then my, uh, my, my cynical side said, well, Massachusetts, Southwest Saskatchewan. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there basically next door to one another. I mean, they've got that common culture. They all speak with the same accent. Uh, you know, geography is pretty much the same. Oh, wait, none of that's true either. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I mean, personally, I, you know, you look at her, I mean, she's got very, you know, indigenous like features. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, she may not be Cree, but maybe she is from, you know, another, another first nations, but who knows? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really interested in watching it um, and uh, we'll find out. Yeah, no, just before we started recording, you actually took a look online and already there are websites that are now calling her American. And I thought, well, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, American singer-songwriter is what uh, I saw right away there on Google, on the Google search. Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, uh, I'll actually be somewhat disappointed if that turns out to be true. I um yeah. You know, really respected her. I mean, not that I'm a big fan of her music, but I just, I've, yeah, I've always had a lot of respect for her. And this, uh, this will definitely tarnish that. And then will make me ask, okay, so will the council mob come for her? Will she now lose her order of Canada and all the different awards that she's gotten, Junos, et cetera. So um, yeah, I'm, uh, I can't wait for this, uh, this uh, fifth estate episode. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Anne Moore segment of our show. Food bank usage is way up in Canada. One in five Canadian adults are skipping meals so that they can feed their kids. 
And you sent me a little stat earlier in the week. Food bank usage is up how much? I believe it's uh, 100%. Um, 80. 80. Sorry. It was 100% in my home, in my town here. Uh, so 80% across the country. But it's 100% higher in my town where I live. Crazy. And that's just since 2019. And so, I mean... That is before the pandemic, and I think that's that was good. They took the stat from 2019 just so it would be a, a bit more of an apples-to-apples apples comparison. But that yeah. is absolutely shocking. And 17.5% of the people who are going to food banks right now are working Canadians, employed Canadians who simply can't afford to buy groceries. Yeah, it's it's getting a little scary. I mean, you see those kinds of numbers where food bank usage is up 80% across the country, 100% in the town where I live. Uh, the fact that Bank of Montreal is getting out of auto loans entirely because of how many people are defaulting on their payments. Um, there's There's just so many indications here of a of a of a bubble that's gonna burst. Um, the fact that we are now, and I'm, I'm being vindicated here, the, uh, they're now saying that, that we are entering stagflation where the economy stagnates, but our inflation remains high. Um, I don't, again, one more thing I didn't want to be right about, um, because this what this is like the worst case scenario for the economy. Is, stagna is stagnation with high inflation. And so it's it's something I didn't want to be right about. Unfortunately, I am right about it. And uh, man, it, it sucks. I wish I was wrong about that. Well, and you had suggested that at least six months ago, might even have been a year ago, you were already warning about stagflation. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah, again, it's a shame that you're right. Well, I think, yeah, actually, I was warning about it at least two years ago because um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall with the way the government was blowing out spending and printing money. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's something I've been talking about for probably two years now. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's sad that that one had to come true. But you're seeing it now. I mean, uh, home sales are starting to go up because... People are getting underwater with mortgage rates increasing and they're getting out while they can get something out of their house. And it's uh, that just creates a downward spiral. Um, those of our listeners old enough to remember the early 1980s, well, we're not going to see the 18% interest rates, at least I hope not, but we are seeing the same economic pattern repeat itself. And I wonder which prime minister would have caused that back in the early 1980s. Oh, <laughs> I believe his name was uh, Trudeau. Yes, Trudeau. Oh, yet another Trudeau. And uh, well, maybe we'll learn the second time. Nope. If there's anything, if there's anything we learn from history, is that we don't learn from history. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're absolutely right. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what the current Trudeau and his government are up to. Now, we've talked about MAID, medical assistance in dying, many times on this show. It's a subject I'm kind of quite passionate about. And 
there was uh, a clause in the in made legislation that was going to allow for mental illness. And we covered that on the show, mental illnesses that included such things as depression, anorexia, for example, or eating disorders, not just anorexia. And now the Trudeau government has decided that, you know what, drug addiction should also be included in the mental disorder category. Oops, not drug addiction, substance use disorder. Get the woke language right, Tony. Substance use disorder should also be included in made. So you're a drug addict? Well, maybe you should die too. Yeah, and here's the, like, the thing is, is that I want to preface this with saying that I support made. I supported made when it was first announced, but I supported made with a with a caveat, and that was that I supported made as it was first implemented. But I but even then I said we got to be really careful because people are going to expand what this is what this applies to, because it it never just stays about one thing right like things like this like programs like this they always expand to capture other things and they've been slowly expanding it and uh and now you know i mean mental disorders oh great so the people that want to commit suicide you're going to give them permission to commit suicide um the you know i mean We've even had, and, and this is the thing that scares me, is that soon it won't be the patient who drives the application for MAID. It's going to be the healthcare provider that's going to be saying, you know, maybe you should think about MAID. Oh, wait, that's already happening. Bingo. We've had that happen. We've had reports of that happening with a couple of, I believe, Canadian Forces veterans and with uh, uh, a couple, like a teenage girl who had uh, uh, anorexia, um, where it was suggested to her that she should commit suicide. These are things that that we, that now the, the nurses are, are suggesting to the patients. Um, and this is wrong. This is very wrong. Um, remember there was like an old, there was a man, I, I can't remember if it was one of the Canadian forces vets or if it was just, if it was, a uh, another civilian, um, who said that, that they told him that, that he was costing the system too much money and he should think about made. Yep. Yep. He was the fact to quote that one, it was, and it was just a regular civilian in London, Ontario, and yeah. he reported them. Since you're making that suggestion to him and said, you're costing the system, quote, north of $1,500 a day, end quote. So he may want to consider made as an option. I uh, thought, wow. And then in the case of drug addicts, well, again, you just need to have two doctors who are willing to sign off that that perhaps you would be a, a candidate for made if you were a drug addict. Therefore, not really in a you know, a proper state of mind, because the whole idea behind drug addictions is to be high and not be in your normal state of mind. Yeah. And this is what I love from Health Canada. I had to go read the Health Canada literature on this. Assessments must explore a person's treatment history, and a person cannot refuse all or most treatments and automatically render themselves incurable for the purposes of, of getting made. 
but they still just have to get two doctors to sign off saying that, yeah, okay, we, we'll we'll give you maid. And I love this, the money quote, Canada. So uh, you're going to love this. This is from David Martel. He's the physician lead, physician lead, sorry, at the Addictions Medicine at Nova Scotia Health. He says, and I'm going to quote him, of course, I don't think it's fair, and the government doesn't think it's fair, to exclude people from eligibility because their mental disorder or their suffering is related to a mental illness. As a subset of that, it's not fair to exclude people purely because their mental disorder might either partly or in full be a substance use disorder, end quote. So, how do you like them apples? So, his wording is very curious. Isn't it? Yeah, it's not fair. What is he saying? Like, everyone should have the opportunity to end their life? Like, come on, man. Like, this is, this is like, we are entering a, a, a period where life is not valued. Like, I, I have no problem with, with MAID when it comes to terminally ill patients who have, you know, there's no, and they're in pain, and they and there's no, um, there's no cure in sight, you know, like, they're terminal. Um, that I have no problem with, because I know if it was me, I would not want to be living in Even knowing that I'm going to die. So, but to say that, like, to not value life, uh, I just have a real problem with this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, to, to, to summarize this, I mean, it's the government is now offering made for homelessness, offering made for poverty, offering made for depression, uh, offering made for eating disorders. And offering made for now drug addiction, offering made to Canadian Armed Forces veteran who wants a wheelchair ramp for her house. Um, so this is this is eugenics. This is a government that wants to kill anybody who's inconvenient to them. Uh, oh, you're going to cost us money, or you're going to be a pain in our butt, or you're going to be a drain on the social safety net. Well, you know what? Maybe we should just get rid of you. That is a very scary path to go down. It is. It's a very scary path. And it's just like I said, it's it's uh, we're just not valuing human life anymore. No, exactly right. So. Um, all right. Well, let's move on from the from the maid and the lack of value of human life to the Senate and the lack of value for your tax dollars. So we had warned you about this, Canada. We had talked about this. I bet you it was a year ago already when the bill C-233 was going into the House of Commons, and at the same time, Bill S-233 was going to the Senate. They were, both bills were in support of a universal basic income. Well, the House of Commons bill has very quietly been shuffled away, but Bill S-233 is now on the Senate floor being debated. Now, Senate bills don't become law, so... In that case, no matter what the Senate does, 
they can't impose a universal basic income on Canadians. What the Senate can do, unfortunately, is if they do pass this bill, S-233, it then calls for the House of Commons, therefore the federal government, to create a national framework to allow the feds to begin studying the guaranteed livable basic income. And, well, given the group of imbeciles we have in Ottawa right now, that scares the hell out of me. Yeah, as it does to me. I mean, this is... God, we've been warning about this because, you know, anywhere that it's... Universal basic income is just communism. Pure and simple. There's no other way around it. It's communism. The government pays you a wage and you don't have to do anything for it. I mean, it's... it's it's wrong. They have control over you at that point as well, by the way, because if you don't agree with them or you, or you fight against the government, well, all they have to do is just cut your money supply. Like they're now in control of you. So yeah, I mean, this is, this is insanity and definitely not a road we should be going down at all. No. So I, uh, I mean, I know that the Senate is meant to be a chamber of quote sober second thought, but I've I haven't thought of this Senate being that way for well well over a decade. So I'm a little concerned that they're going to be providing in this case sober first thought. My concern is since the Senate is stacked with well independent liberal senators, they will likely come up with something that is well quite in line with what the uh, liberal government wants, and well. Like you say, that is communism. That 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 basic income is is it's it's communism, and everything you just said was correct. If you are guilty of wrong, think they will cut off your money supply because they've got you exactly where they want you. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's just it's not right. I mean, everybody should earn their own way. Period. Yeah, absolutely right. We don't we don't need more incentive for people to not do anything. <laughs> well, and we saw that during the uh, the pandemic lockdowns, I mean, people stayed at home and they lived on the CERB and you saw it as a business owner. You couldn't find staff because people were quite happy to take a summer vacation being paid the $2,000 a month and didn't start putting job applications out there until that CERB was about to run out. So we've already yeah. seen the bad side of it but yet this government says huh well why don't we just uh see how we go if we go full full force on this yeah it's it's i don't know why they need to study this at all because the pandemic proved that it doesn't work (laughs) i mean hell russia proved it didn't work (laughs) venezuela proved it doesn't work but but the pandemic proved it didn't work either. I mean, as soon as people got free money, they quit their jobs. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. they uh, And they said, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this Canadian summer getting free money. Well, um, yeah. nothing is free, people. Nope. And we're paying the price for it now. Yep. That's that. It was that that caused the hyperinflation. It was that that caused the interest rates to rise. 
you know, the, the, this, that's what this is all about. What we're going through now is because of what the government did for the past three years. Pure and simple. No two ways about it. Yep, exactly. All right, so let's wrap the show up today talking a little bit about short-term rentals. Now, we had talked about this on last week's show, or maybe the week before, we talked about Nova Scotia creating legislation to change the rules on short-term rentals and have anybody who owns a short-term rental have to register with the government. Now, Nova Scotia introduced a series of taxes being attached to those registrations, and Quebec also uh, uh, forces short-term rental owners to register their their properties with the government as well and actually post the registration number with any ads and on the premises itself. So, of course, the BC government said, oh, hold my kokanee and watch this. So now BC has decided that it needs to create a registry for short-term rentals. And, well, Lewis, you're going to love this because you happen to live in BC and you happen to live in one of the affected communities because any community with more than 10,000 residents in BC is going to be subject to having to register their short-term accommodations with the government. Ah, speaking of going the wrong way. Yeah. It's not just that either. They, they also are imposing a restriction that uh, you can only rent, you can only uh, ho be a, an Airbnb host if you live on the premises. So you that basically relegates people to uh, renting out uh, basement suites or you know carriage houses or whatever. Like you can't rent, you can't own a condo and rent the condo out as an Airbnb. Um, now I'm not, I'm not entirely against those rules. Um, and I'll and I'll say why because a lot of these. Airbnbs are, you know, Airbnbs are all in residential neighborhoods and you get these Airbnbs where the people don't, where the, the, the owners don't live on the premises and you end up with loud parties all the time. You end up with, you know, people being disrespectful to the neighbors. Um, and I know because I live right next door to one of these problem Airbnbs. And so I'm not entirely opposed to these rules that the owners must live on the premises because they can keep an eye on things and a lid on on problems um i'm i i'm a bit conflicted by this because i first they're trying to do this to force these homeowners to put these homes on the market for long-term rentals by doing this if you can't rent out your condo to for airbnb well then you're going to have to rent it out to long-term rentals except that's not what's going to happen because the long-term because rental the rental board has crazy rules um especially here in bc and we've talked about them many times about how former tenants sue the the landlords and win like twenty eight or thirty thousand dollars because you know they got evicted and you know whatever and so there's it's those rules that are why people don't want to rent out 
They don't want to rent out to long-term renters because their properties get damaged and it's worth, and it's way more than whatever damage deposit they received. Um, there's, you know, lots of reasons you, you know, that the tenant has more rights to the property than the property owner has. Um, you know, you, you try getting rid of someone who's not paying rent. It is, it's almost impossible. Um, so there's real reasons why these landlords don't want to rent out to long-term renters and they would rather Airbnb it. And those, those issues are not being addressed because, you know, we have activist governments and they're acting on, and they're being activists on behalf of, of tenants. And unfortunately, whatever they do doesn't ever work. It has the opposite effect most of the time. And so what's going to happen here is that people are not going to rent their Airbnbs out to long-term renters. They're just going to sell them. And, but the, but, and, and I know there's going to be people who go, yay, they're going to sell them. And those places are going to be in the, in, on the market for those renters to buy. No, the renters aren't going to buy them. The renters are still going to rent. But they're not going to be renting these these places. These are going to get sold to other people who are going to move in and live there, which fine. But you should never be forced to sell something you own. And that's basically what's happening here. And uh, and now the other reason I, I'm kind of have mixed feelings on this is because Airbnbs compete against hotels and motels which are legitimate businesses. So why should they not be legitimate businesses then? Yeah. And right. The registration rules don't apply to hotels and motels in BC. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like they're, they're, they're not playing on a level playing field. Right. So it's, but they, but they do, they compete against hotels and motels. So they should all be playing under the same rules as far as I'm concerned. I think you should have to get, I think you should have to apply with your local city council to get a, uh, a zoning change if you want to have a, a an Airbnb at your house. Airbnb in their suites, they would be actually renting them out to long-term renters. But like I said, with the rules that are in place, nobody wants to do that. Yeah, and I, I can't say that I blame them one bit. Yeah. Now, I do find it funny that, yeah, those rules won't apply to hotels, motels. They won't apply to reserve lands or treaty lands, but they will apply to any of the web platforms, the Airbnbs, the Verbos, classified ads, et cetera. So, I mean, it's it's very targeted. And, I mean, your point about the level playing field is a valid one because they're, um, they're, well, I mean, they're specifically targeting one industry and it's... I get the zoning changes. I'm actually with you on that. They I mean the Airbnb owners should apply for zoning changes. So because it is a commercial property, if they're renting out the whole, the whole home, right? So yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that will play out. They're actually the province apparently is going to be establishing uh, more bureaucracy to take care of it. Of course, a short-term rental agency, according to oh. the website, and and again. Um, here, here's the funny thing with BC, and I, I, I love this. This is hilarious. The legislation itself will be effective May 1st of 2024, 
but fines, they can start fining immediately. I was like, how can you start fining people when you haven't even established a legislation yet? <laughs> well, that's because you don't think with an NDP brain. That's... <laughs> No, it's it's crazy. Like, okay, so we've we've had listeners who who message us and say, "Why are you guys talking about BC so much?" This is why, because <laughs> BC is crazy, and yeah. all the crazy stuff starts in BC and makes its way across the country. Yes, it certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably a good spot to wrap the show up right there um, well actually I, I do want to say one thing that bc has done that i agree with this past week our premier david eby uh, wrote a letter to justin trudeau and had all of the premiers sign that letter requesting that uh they extend the seba uh loan repayments by another year to give businesses, small businesses, a break with the with the uh, economic situation that we're all in right now, so oh. I do have to give them credit for that. Definitely, yeah. Well, let's uh, export that sanity from BC instead of all the crazy stuff you continue to export to the rest of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Canada, we do want to thank you for joining us, and until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.